You're listening to the Finding Christ in the Old Testament series, preaching by Pastor Rick Dressler at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. 1 Samuel chapter 13 this morning. I was gone last week. I thank God for the faithfulness of our people here and the faithfulness of the leadership here, the faithful preaching and teaching the Word of God. Good to be back home this week. Two weeks ago when we were together, we, we had just finished 1 Samuel chapter 12. And we left 1 Samuel chapter 12 on an optimistic note. If, if you remember the story, Israel was confronted with their sin. And their, and their sin was simplistic. What, what they wanted to do was they wanted to exchange the creation for the creator. They said, we need a king. We need someone tangible that we can touch, that we can hold, that can go out before us. And so, Samuel, we don't want you, we don't want God, we don't want your sons, make us a king. And they were fine with that decision. They thought it was okay. Samuel wasn't, and God wasn't. And so they all gathered together to to make a king. God says to Samuel, give them what they want. And in that moment, God says, I want you to know, I want you to see your sin the way I see it. It was idolatry. And God thundered, and they feared, and for the first time, they see their sin the way God saw their sin, and they repent. They're broken. They say, Samuel, pray for us. We have sinned. And an amazing portion of Scripture, we see it time and time again, that even in their sin, when they repent, when they confess, when they acknowledge, God says, okay, yet I will do this, and He forgives them, He shows them, once again, grace. Grace. And my friend, listen to me. Um, As we've gone through the Old Testament, I want you to understand something. The, The entire book is for us. And it's the same for us. When we sin and we acknowledge and confess, confession means to say the same thing, to agree with God. God, you're right, I'm wrong. And when we repent of those things, God always shows us grace. And it's not because of us. It's because of His great name. It has nothing to do with you. It has nothing to do with me, who we are or what we've done. It's all because of His great name, this grace. And so we said two weeks ago, in light of that, as we confess, as we repent, as we are forgiven, then what we are to do then is to accept God's grace. It is not therapeutic, it is not making atonement to keep beating ourselves up when we have sinned and forsaken and repented, then we are to receive God's grace. And anything less than that is not glorifying to our God. This morning, for many of us, if you've repented, if you've turned, if you've confessed, I say to you this morning, by the authority of the Word of God, quit hitting the replay button Quit reliving all the details. Accept God's grace. I don't deserve it. That is the point. You don't. And this is our God. And then for those of us who who know Christ, we've received His grace, how could we not then extend it to others? If we then in turn cannot be gracious... We, we really have not comprehended the magnitude of our own sin and our own wickedness and the, and the grace that was extended to us. And so we must then extend that grace. And so we, we ended two weeks ago on chapter 12. 
very optimistic that Israel now is in a good place. They're in a good place. I wish we could say the same for their king in chapter 13. And in chapter 13, we're going to find what I call royal failure. Look, if you would, at verse number 1. Saul reigned one year, and when he had reigned two years over Israel, and this, for me now, I know the story of Saul, and many of you know the story of Saul, and just reading this, I had this inkling that the introduction itself is telling us that something is not right here. There should be more years behind this. Not just, we reigned for a year, and let me tell you what happened the second year. There should be something else happening here, and there's not. And so, for me, my, my spider senses are tingling here, all right? For those of you who don't understand that, don't worry. It was probably a bad analogy anyways, all right? Something's not right. Verse number two. Saul chose him, 3,000 men of Israel. He is the king now. Whereof 2,000 were with Saul in Michmash and in Mount Bethel, and 1,000 were with Jonathan in Gibeah, Benjamin, and the rest of the people he sent every man to his tent. Verse 3. And Jonathan smote the garrison of the Philistines that was in Geba. Now, you may not see it as a big deal. That may not mean much to you. But here is the second sign for me that there's trouble with Saul. Who is the king of Israel? Do you remember? You should remember, we just said his name about 30 seconds ago. It's Saul, okay? Do you remember why Israel wanted a king? So that this man, they could touch, they could feel, they could see. He could go out before them and lead them in battle, right? That was his job. Guess who goes out in battle against the Philistines? It is not Saul. It's not the king. It's Jonathan, his son. And Jonathan does the right thing. The Philistines were the enemy of God's people. They had kept Israel in bondage. They were wicked. And, and so this was the right thing. But this wasn't his job. This was the king's job to go out. And again, we see this real deficiency in Saul's character. It started early on. He's passive. Right? He's not doing what God has called him to do. He's complacent. So Jonathan goes out and he smites his garrison. Look at the middle of the verse. And the Philistines heard of it. Guess what? They're not happy. Their people got smoked. They're not happy. So Saul does something here in the anniversary. He says, And Saul blew the trumpet throughout all the land, saying, Let the Hebrews hear. And here's what happens now. Saul, as the king, gets all the talking heads, the pundits, he gets a press release out, and he's going to tell all Israel what's happened. Now pay attention to what he says. Verse 4, And all Israel heard say that Saul had smitten a garrison of the Philistines. Anything surprise you about that statement? Yeah, it wasn't Saul at all. It was his son. And, and we begin now to see this arrogance and this pride and this wickedness of Saul. Sound the trumpets, send out the news flash. I have smitten a garrison of the Philistines. And oftentimes in leadership we find this, this arrogance in our day that is so unchristlike. I read a story this week that, I, that was in line with this. I want to share it with you, just talking about the arrogance sometimes of, of leadership. Years ago, James VI of Scotland, King James VI of Scotland, was notorious for acting up and misbehaving during worship services. And, and on one particular morning, he was in a service, and Robert Bruce was preaching. 
And while Robert Bruce opened the Word of God and started preaching, uh, James the King began to talk, which is really rude, wouldn't you say? And, and what Robert Bruce did was when James started to speak, he just stopped. And James paid attention and stopped talking. I used to have a pastor like this when I was growing up, um, Pastor Roy Thompson. He, he would thunder. And if you were messing around in church, it was like he wouldn't just stop. He'd call your name. And he'd call your parents and say, listen, after the service, I want to meet with your family down in the front. People paid attention. Okay? Wouldn't you? And he was a big, he was a loud a man's man. And so, so he stops and, and uh, James stops. And so then Robert Bruce begins to speak again. And as he speaks again, James starts talking again. The second time he stops, James stops. The third time this, this happens, and now Robert Bruce stopped, looked at the king, and here's what he said. It is said to have been an expression of the wisest of kings. When the lion roars, all the beasts of the field are quiet. And then he said this talking to the king. The lion of the tribe of Judah is now roaring in the voice of his gospels, and it becomes all the petty kings of the earth to be silent. I don't know if that story has anything to do with our, my message, but I love that story. It's fantastic. Isn't it? Listen, you're the king. That's all right. You need to be quiet because now the gospel is being proclaimed. And Saul had a problem with arrogance, and so did James. Saul says, I did this. Now look at verse number 5. And the Philistines gathered themselves together to fight with Israel 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen and people as the sand which is on the seashore in multitude. And they came up and pitched in Michmash eastward from Beth-Avon. When men of Israel saw that they were in a strait, for the people were distressed. Then the people did hide themselves in caves and in thickets and in rocks and in high places, and in pits. And some of the Hebrews went over Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. As for Saul, he was yet in Gilgal, and all the people followed him, trembling. Now before we go on, I want you to back up. Look at verse number 6. And I want you to see a phrase in there. It says, the men of Israel saw, they were in a strait, they were in trouble. And then it says, they were distressed. Your Bible might say hard-pressed. It's an interesting word. It literally means, it has the idea of driving an animal to be a tyrant. And so the picture is Israel's really in a strait here. They're in trouble. They're hiding. They're running. They're scared for their lives. And the Bible says that they are in distress. So here's what I want you to do now, okay? We're going to come back to this in a little bit. Take that word now and this, this idea that Israel's distressed by the Philistines and put it away in your mind, okay? Just tuck it back there right next to what you're thinking about for Thanksgiving dinner this afternoon, okay? And quit with the Thanksgiving dinner today or tomorrow and think about what I just said. File that back there, okay? These people were distressed because of the Philistines. Okay? Let's go on. And he tarried seven days, speaking of Saul now, according to the set time that Samuel had appointed, but Samuel came not to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. Now, when you read this, it may seem like it's day seven and 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 Samuel has not showed up at all. He didn't come at all on day 7. That's not the case. You'll see in a minute he does. But I want, you to, I want to remind you this morning about who Samuel was. Anybody remember who Samuel was? The prophet, right? And, and in these days, the prophet was, he was the mouthpiece of God. He spoke for God. 
Right? There was no complete revelation. The prophet got it from the Lord. He spoke to his people. He revealed God's will, God's way, God's works. All right? And so Samuel is the prophet. He's the one that told Saul, wait here, stop, stay here. I'll be there in seven days. We would equate Samuel, I think, like a walking Bible. He was the word of the Lord. This is what Israel had during this time. This is what the king had as well. So Samuel says to Saul, wait here for seven days and I'll come and we'll, we'll go from there. So he tarries seven days. Um, verse number nine. And Saul said, bring hither a burnt offering to me and peace offering. And he offered the burnt offering. And again, you, you might think that's no big deal. But Saul is the king. He is not a priest. This is not his job. He had no right to do this. A matter of fact, he's being completely disobedient here to the clear commands of the Lord. And so he makes this offering. And it came to pass that as soon as he had made the end of the offering, the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came and Saul went out to meet him that he might salute him. And so he says, salutes him there. And Samuel says, what are you doing? And Saul said, because I saw that the people were scattered from me and that thou camest not within the days appointed, probably he missed them by an hour, and when the Philistines gathered themselves together at Michmash, therefore, said I, the Philistines will come down now upon me to Gilgal, and I have not made supplication unto the Lord. I forced myself, therefore, and offered a burnt offering. And this is interesting about Saul. He's making excuses now for his sin, and he's blaming everybody. He's even blaming Samuel for his actions. And here's what Samuel says now, verse 13. And Samuel said to Saul, Thou hast done foolishly. Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee. For now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever. But now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart, and the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people, because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. Saul does this act, and what happens is he loses the kingdom. This is a great talking point, and maybe not for right now, but maybe with your family later on or your kids this week or other believers. Our idea and concept of sin is really skewed. You read that sometimes and think, oh man, here is Saul. He made one mistake and now he has to suffer. And we have this idea sometimes that, you know, there's, there's bad sin. And everybody else's sin is bad sin. Now my sin is not bad sin. My sin is kind of like good sin, whatever that means, right? I got, I got good. Mine's not as bad as everybody else's. Let me tell you something. That thinking is detrimental to the Christian. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. Saul loses the kingdom. What was Saul's sin in this particular portion of Scripture? What was it? Disobedience. Probably pride too. He loses the kingdom. Let's talk about another king. David. What was David's sin? Adultery? Murder? Does David lose the kingdom? No. Is God condoning adultery and murder? Absolutely not. What's going on? Well, there are two things. One thing is this. Sin is sin. Your sin, my sin, it's all wicked before God's eyes. All of it. And you can make excuses about your gossip and your pettiness and your pride and your arrogancy and, and your, your stuff is all internal, so you're okay with that. God's not ever okay with that. 
God hates it all. He is holy. He is just. But the other thing is this, the attitude when confronted on sin. Here is Saul. You know who he's blaming? He's blaming Samuel. If you were here, I wouldn't have done this. I forced myself. That's not what David does. When David is finally exposed, you read Psalm 51. And he says, against thee and thee only have I sinned. Lord, cleanse me, wash me. I've been wicked. Better be careful. Your sin and my sin is not good sin. It's wickedness. And Saul loses a kingdom. Now watch this now in verse number 15. Verse 15. And Samuel arose and gat him up from Gilgal unto Gibeah of Benjamin. And Saul numbered the people that were present with him, about 600 men. And, and, and you might just miss this, but something very important here. Here is Samuel. He's talking to Saul. He says, you blew it. Samuel is a walking Bible. He's the voice of the Lord. He is God's word. And now he leaves. He just leaves. And you will not find mention of him until chapter 15. He's gone now. And Saul is left by himself. Remember, the people are in distress. It's one thing to be in distress. It's another thing to be in distress and be alone. And what has happened to Saul is this. Saul is now alone without the word of the Lord. There is no direction. There is no instruction from God. He is on his own. He has been stripped of the direction of the word of God, and now he is truly impoverished, and he is open to destruction. If I were to ask you a question this morning, and, and I want you to be honest, you don't have to answer out loud. Think to yourself. If I were to say to you, hey, what do you need this morning? And we weren't playing Bible trivia at the pastor's house where all the answers are Jesus, okay? Right? Really. If I said, what do you need this morning? What, what's, what's the first thing that comes to you? And being honest, just being completely honest, not self-righteous, you know, just being completely honest. What do you need? Some people this morning, and, and Kevin, just going to raise his hand. What, what is it, Kevin? Oh, he needs food because he's hungry. He's probably hungry right now. His stomach's probably growling right now. Someone give that man a candy bar, right? I need food. Maybe someone said I need a job. Right? I need some money. I need some rest. I need some comfort. I need a vacation. Right? Amen. That's right. Amen. I need vacation. I need a husband. I don't. I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm speaking. Right? Just. That's nice. The only time you pay attention when I do something wrong. Um, what, what do you need? And we have these things in our lives. We say, yeah, you know, I, I need this. I need this. But I want to tell you something. As we look at the life of Saul, his greatest need was the Word of God. And I want you to know something. You're, I'm not minimizing your needs. We all have needs this morning. We do. And there are things that are important to us. But I want to convince you this morning that the greatest need that all of us have right now is the Word of God. It's God's revelation to us. I've got to tell you something. When Samuel leaves Saul and the word of God leaves him alone, because of his disobedience, because of his pride and his arrogancy, Saul now in his life makes one mistake after the other. I mean, he does the dumbest things. You, we'll read, we won't read it today, but you can read it. He makes one bad decision after the other so bad that look at chapter 14, verse 24. Chapter 14, verse 24. Now watch this phrase. And the men of Israel were distressed that day. Is that ringing a bell for anybody right now? 
distress that day? Remember that by the turkey back there, the, the phrase we put back there, distress that day? It meant to drive like an animal, to be a tyrant. Who was it in chapter 13 that was a tyrant to the people of Israel? The Philistines. Here's chapter 14. And the men of Israel were distressed that day, for Saul had adjured the people not to eat anything. Do you see what's happening here? Samuel leaves. Saul's without what he needs the most, the word of God. He's isolated now from what he needs. And so he lives a life now. He makes one bad decision after another to the point now where the people that he is in charge of, that he's supposed to lead, he now is distressing them. Like the enemies of God oppressed them earlier. I submit to you this morning to be stripped of the direction of God's word is to be truly impoverished and open to destruction. The word of God is of the utmost importance. Two points this morning. Number one, in light of the word of God and its importance. Number one, the church, and I'm talking now about the body of Christ, is fundamentally alone of alone if it lacks the faithful teaching and preaching of the Word of God. The church of Jesus Christ is alone this morning. We are isolated from what we need the most if it lacks the preaching and teaching of the Word of God. Listen to me, when you come here, this is not about entertainment. Yeah, sometimes the words aren't right and sometimes we don't sing very loud and sometimes it's not the greatest show on earth, but it ain't about that. It's not about tradition. It's not about a movement that we got to placate to. It's not about impressing anyone. The church of Jesus Christ is about the proclamation of His Word, period. And without that Word, the church has nothing to say to the world. Nothing. Nothing. Your opinion, your tradition, your movement doesn't matter. And without the Word of God, the church of Jesus Christ has nothing. And that's why this place will continually proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. That's the gospel. And as people of God this morning, we should glory in that. Our hearts should be in awe when we, we get up and we talk about the holiness of God. And we open up His Word and He reveals Himself that here is a God of holiness, of justice, of wrath and love, of justice and mercy, and that He is holy and we are not, and we should come before Him as we open His Word and bow down and worship Him and understand that He is holy, He is God, we are not. Our hearts should sink as we hear from God's word, sin, knowing it's infected all of us. That we are sinners by nature, we are sinners by choice, that we are enemy combatants of this God of heaven who is good, kind, and loving, righteous, and just. And we have shaked, we've, we've taken our fist and we shook it in his face and said, You will not reign and rule over me. I'll do it my way. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to our own way. And it should cause us to be humble this morning as we hear that. And then we should leap for joy when we talk about grace. That this God, this loving, just, holy God, in His 
mercy sent His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to be the propitiation to satisfy His wrath. It was poured out on Him and all of us as sinners who deserve to be condemned to hell. That was poured upon Christ. And this God relentlessly pursues His people. That's the Word of God. We should glory in that and know that this same Jesus is coming again. And while He's away, He is doing the work and He is reclaiming everything. He is the Creator. He is renewing within us the person, the man, the woman we are to be. That's the Christ we serve. And we should worship that and we should glory in that and understand that it all comes from the Word of God. It's all about the Word. And the church of Jesus Christ that is without the Word, like Saul, makes a mess and distresses people. And we've all been there. You've been exposed to churches that it's not about the Word, and so there's backbiting, there's bitterness, there's gossip, there's nonsense, there's this and that. It ain't about any of that stuff. It's about the Word of God. It's of the utmost importance. The church is fundamentally alone if it lacks the faithful preaching and teaching of the Word. And point number two, individuals in the community of Christ, we as believers are alone if we lack the teaching and preaching of the Word of God in our own lives. Some of us this morning, we are causing great distress to ourselves and to everybody we come in contact with because we, like Saul, have disregarded the Word of God and we live our life the way we want to live our life and we end up making a mess of everything we touch. Because our flesh has a propensity to sin. One bad decision after another. We read the verses this morning about uh, the servant looks to his master and our, our eyes look to you. And, and I want you to understand this morning as believers, we don't have anything if we don't have the Word of God. We must look, we must love. The Word of God is everything. The Word of God stings, it sings, it does a lot of things, all right? That's as far as the rhyming's going to go this morning, that's all I got, all right? But that's the Word of God. It convicts, it challenges, it condemns. Jeremiah says about the Lord's Word, he says, Is not my Word a fire and a hammer that breaks the rocks? This is the Word of God. And it exposes us. It comforts us. It brings us peace. It brings us rest. And what I'm telling you this morning is this. Without this, we are making a mess of our lives. We, as God's people, must look to Him and say, Lord, I want You, by Your Word, to direct me, to lead me, to guide me. I need You. The most important thing in your life this morning, parent, single adult, single woman, single man, um, grandparent, put wherever you're at today, it's the Word of God. You've got to have it. It must direct your life. Last week, we were away at a, uh, a wedding. I almost said funeral. I don't know why I do that. I almost, every time I say wedding, I almost say funeral. I don't know why that is. It, it has nothing to do. I love weddings, um, but I almost always do. We had, we had a wedding of our dearest friends. Their oldest boy was being married. And so we were there, and uh, we had a chance to connect with people that we grew up with. I mean, when I was like, I don't know, like 12 years old, 13 years old. And so Kim and I were there, and we were sitting at a table for this, uh, what was it, the what's the one? The dinner? What's that called? Rehearsal. Rehearsal dinner. Right. 
Original dinner. So I'm sitting here. Kim is across from me. Our best friends are to this side. And then these folks that I grew up with. And so I was feeling really good about myself. And I don't know if you know this, but I can be very animated when I start speaking. All right? I, I can do all these things, right? And I just animate it. So I had a couple iced teas, feeling really good about myself. And, and we're sitting there. And, um, and Kim's across from me. And, and, and you guys who've been married, like, for Bob, 50 years. And we've got a ton of folks. Ian and Julie will celebrate 50 years in a couple of weeks. And, and people who've been married longer than that. We've got a whole crew of people. 50, 55, 60, 70, 80, 150 years. Fantastic. <laughs> um, it's, it's a wonderful thing. But you get to the point where Kim doesn't have to talk to me anymore. Right? She looks at me. And I know, right, it's to the point now, she didn't even raise an eyebrow. She just looks at me, and I know I'm, I'm saying something I shouldn't say or doing something I shouldn't do, right? I, right, and, and she's doing it right now, all right? She knows where this is probably going to go, all right? And so she just looks at me, and, and she, what she does is this. She does this. She, her, her eyes just... And I know that whatever I'm about to say, I shouldn't say. So we're sitting there, and I'm, I'm a little animated, and the topic of music comes up. And... Uh, and so I'm sitting there, and I, and I have an opinion about everything, right? And so the topic came up of Southern gospel music. Joanne, I love you. Before I say anything, I love you, okay? <laughs> How many folks, you, you love Southern gospel music? Okay, don't be ashamed. I mean, you probably should be, but don't be ashamed, all right? All right, all right. All right I'm joking. Um, and she's doing the eye thing right now, okay? So it comes up, and I'm talking, and I'm animated and saying, I may have said I hated it. I don't know exactly. I had some iced tea. I'm not sure what I said. It. I might have said I hated it. Um, and I look and I glance at Kim and she does this. And I saw it. I, I clearly saw it. I knew. I knew. But I kept on going. I just... And here, the wonderful... There, was, there were four of them. A, two, a husband and wife and a husband and wife. And, and they're in a quartet. And do you want to guess what kind of quartet they're in? A southern gospel quartet. And here I am just, blah, 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 blah. She's, she's looking at me. And after a while, she quit looking. She just kicked me. I, it's under the table. It's kicked to the shins, right? I would have been a wise man to follow her direction and let her guide me by her eyes, right? And when I don't, and I, I'm, a, I'm a man, I'm a hard-headed, right? When I don't, this always happens. I, I say and do dumb things, right? Listen to me. God says this. I have given you an instruction manual. God has wired you. He made you. He created you. He, he's not a, a killjoy. Do you understand that? He has created you for maximum joy in Him. In Him. And we need to know Him well enough so where I can look to Him and be guided by His eye. And when we are not, you're going to get a kick in the shin, man. You are. We make a mess of things. We must know him well enough to look to his eyes. And then we must obey him. Some of us don't read the word of God. Christian, shame on you. We'll read every book available to us. Every one of them. If someone walked into a Christian bookstore today and they knew nothing about Christianity, what they would think is Christians don't know how to do anything. There's a book to help you do everything. Can I tell you, it's already been written. It's right here. And I'm not opposed to reading. I, I read hundreds Thousands of books. All right? I'm not opposed to that. But, but we neglect the Word of God. Listen, I, I want you to do this. I want you to open up your Bible this week. And, and, and you don't have to be three chapters a day, five on Sunday. Get through it. Just, just read something. And when you read it, look for a sin to avoid, a promise to claim. 
right? An example to follow or not to follow, a command to keep, knowledge about God, read it and then apply it to your life. And let the word of God guide you. Because without it, you are impoverished. And you will make a mess in your marriage, in your relationships, in your finances, in your conflict resolution. Look to the word of God. You must know him. Some of us don't read, so we don't know. You're impoverished. Others do read, and we don't do. And you are disobedient. Disobedient. I don't know what it is, but we have totally disregarded the words of Jesus Christ as believers today. Samuel told Saul exactly what to do. He just didn't do it. And believers today, you know, forget the bracelets, forget the cute little sayings, what would Jesus do? What did Jesus do and what did he say? And then do it. Do it. And we have not. And the church has lost its power and strength because we are not obeying the words of our Savior. We were away last weekend, and um, we had a day to go, and we were, we were 30 minutes from Chicago, so we went downtown Chicago, Kim and I and, and our friends, the Hoffmans. And you know how this is, folks. We don't see it much in Chatham, but in big cities, there are, there are always homeless people. And I don't know what your attitude about the homeless uh, is. I don't know what, what it is for you this morning. I know sometimes we're very cynical, but let me say something to you. And there are scammers, right? Let's be, we know, right? We're, we're human beings. I used to scam when I was a kid, right? I used to go collect money for some hospital that wasn't even, anyways, long story. Um, and so we're, we're scammers, right? I mean, we understand. And, and so some of them are scammers. Some are, there's nothing wrong with them, right? But can I tell you something? If this is your life that it's so bad that you're willing to scam on a street corner just to get a few bucks, you can't be in a good place. Right? I mean, something's not right. But anyways, so we're downtown and we're, we're looking. And I can tell you, Chicago is full of homeless people. And, and really, some have mental problems, certainly, because they're wearing bags on their feet. They have nothing. And, and so... We were sitting there, and we got to a corner, and we were on the Magnificent Mile. If you've been to Chicago, it's store after store after store. It's just, you know, we're walking down the street. And we stop at a corner, and we stop at a corner. There's a man sitting there. He's, he's on the ground. His head is down. On, his, on the sign, it says something like, ashamed, dejected, want food, whatever, and just sitting there. And there are, I mean, hundreds of people pass by all the time. And while we stood there, inconspicuously, four young people came up, two guys and two girls, and, and the guy knelt down and said to this man, what's your name? And his name was Alan or Jeff, something like that. He said his name. And they weren't drawing attention. And he reached in a backpack and pulled out a, a sack lunch and a, and a water and said, how can we pray for you? And, they, and they, all four of them knelt down there and prayed for this man. Do you know what I thought at that minute? I, I thought a lot of things about myself and my own relationship with Christ. But I thought this. If every believer of Jesus Christ would be serious about the word of God and do what it says, this world would be changed. It would be changed. And so this morning, let me say this to you. Without the word of God, we are impoverished and we are open to destruction. Whether it's the church or the individuals in church. And may we as God's people this morning who know him understand what we have 
in the Word of God, to know Him well enough to let Him guide our lives with His eye, to, to guide and direct us, and to trust Him enough to obey Him and do what He says. And I promise you something. I promise you, if you obey God's Word, not that your life will be easy. Sometimes it's not. We're going to find next week with Jonathan. It doesn't always happen that way. Sometimes doing right causes real problems. But I will promise you this. If you follow the dictates of Christ, and, and it's all his word, it will change everything around you. Everything. It will change you. It will change your family. It will change people you come in contact with. It will it'll change the lost. It will change the world. It will change the world. Let's have a word of prayer this morning.